0: Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome. We are on episode 46 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. If you recall, uh, Wednesday, we had episodes 74 to 73. Uh, we figured we'd restart the count at 46 here. We thought that was too special to, to add to the uh, uh, current uh, order of things. But here we are. I am um, your host this week. I'm Donald Wine. Uh, currently right now in Washington, D.C., where it is beautiful outside. Uh, as usual, my partners in crime are with me. First, out in Denver. Uh Sam, what's up?
1: Yep, it's uh sunny and warm also here in Denver. Um so uh nice to be uh talking to you guys again uh even though we just did this a couple days ago.
0: Yeah, and I guess I will see you in a few days as well when I come out to Denver. Uh, yeah, we, we keep, hope, keep keep the we keep the uh keep the uh uh weather nice for me. Um no no blizzards.
1: Yeah, I went I I I was telling Donald before we started recording that I uh went to the college hockey game last night. Uh, between University of Denver, my second alma mater, and Colorado College, uh, and it was a lot of fun. De- Donald's going to the um, to the pro games next weekend between the Abs and the Red Wings. Um, so I can tell you that, that they did a great job setting up Coors Field for hockey, and you're going to have a great time. Awesome. Uh, and forward and, and they raised the prices on the beer uh, from
0: last baseball season. I, don't, I hope that doesn't carry over into Rocky season. No, season. it probably and, won't. That, that was and, the case uh, last and in Atlanta, probably somewhere in the wind, we have uh, Jason. Jason Evans. Jason, what's going on?
2: Not much, my friends. Um, it has been, you know, uh, usually I would say a one-in-one week for Duke basketball is a little frustrating or disappointing, perhaps. But but it really doesn't feel that way at all, does it?
0: No, it doesn't. It, it uh, you know, one of those was against UNC, so that always makes for a great week. Even though yesterday was kind of a. Uh, uh, disappointing, um, and we'll get into that a little bit later against. Uh, well, but you
2: know, you know what, I, and and I know we're going to get into it later, but you know what, um, there, there's a lot to say about that Louisville game, um, to me that is not disappointing. Um, That's true, and, and I we'll we'll, to- we'll get into it in a little bit, but but my bottom line is, if I told you before the game that we were only going to have five guys and the refs were going to going to you know that Matt Jones wasn't going to play and that the refs were going to bone us left and right throughout the throughout the entire second half and that we were still going to be unbelievably competitive and have a big lead at times and 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 really, you know, it was a nip-tuck game down the stretch. Uh, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that all day. But we'll get into it more later.
0: Absolutely. Um, we'll start out with the, you know, we got to continue with the fallout from uh, Wednesday night's game against uh, UNC. Um, there has been a lot of analysis about how a team who quote unquote, had zero business winning that basketball game, ended up actually winning that basketball game. And uh, I know you guys have been pouring through the, uh, the various articles and just the, just the analysis on TV, which has carried over um, through the weekend uh, about this game. So I will start with you, Jason. What, what, how do we do this? Like, what are the analysts saying? What are, you, what are you thinking now that we've had a chance to kind of breathe and really look at how we won this game? How did it happen?
2: Well, I'll say one thing. Um, uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, over the course of the next several several minutes um, throughout our conversation about the UNC game, talking about Roy Williams um, and and why I think um, he's he's not doing a good job for UNC, um, and, and why I think UNC's future is not very bright um, with Roy Williams at the helm. But but putting that aside for a second, because I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Um, the the media the media has has jumped all over this game and the media story about the game has consistently been that Roy Williams was a fool his players are uh, you know are, are, don't execute very well and that Roy needed to call timeouts and things like that down the stretch and that UNC should have won the game and and I mean look Donald your question I don't blame you for the question was how did Duke do this and everyone's sort of in this how do, how on earth did Duke accomplish this and I think that attitude um, that media uh, uh, you know story that's going around, take something away from the phenomenal effort of the iron five guys who came out there and won that game for Duke. Um, uh, and there's been lots of talk that coach K outstrategized Roy and, and all that other kind of stuff. Coaches can do only so much um, players have to execute what the coaches asked them to do. And that game was a stellar example of the five Duke guys having more willpower, more stamina um, smarter execution, better execution than the 8-9 guys that were playing for UNC. Uh, and I and I feel like all the stories about Roy Williams, who he should have called timeout. Yes, of course he should have called timeout. He's a freaking idiot. But, you know what? Duke played great defense. That's why he needed that timeout. Duke played smart offense that's why UNC was in that position and and I don't want to take I, I don't want to start my conversation with talking about what UNC did wrong I want to talk about the phenomenal unbelievable effort that Duke put in to get that win because it, uh, uh, yeah go ahead
0: and I, I'm I'm glad you said that because in in my opinion that is I want to say 85% of that answer how did Duke win 85% of that is you know the heart that they showed that you know literally five players uh Went into the most hostile environment they will ever experience because it's it's the biggest rivalry in, in college basketball, and walked out of there like we said in the preview of this game. We said, hey, you know, on paper this these teams should have lost. This team probably would lose if they're if they're both at full strength, and it was a prime opportunity for them to make a statement about their their willpower and their tenacity and their heart. And they did all of that throughout the game and made it one of these instant classics that even. For I think the reason why it's still in the media is because for neutral fans this was an incredible game to watch from start to finish on both ends of the floor, and that's what you want from these games. I mean, it's, it's for us, you know, our our heart our heart uh, pressure medication probably uh, jumps up uh, every you know every middle of uh, February on Wednesday, but this game was phenomenal to watch even for the neutral basketball fans. So I think that's why it's still in the in the you know media's
2: grasp, but I'll I'll kick it back to you. Well, and and, and I want to point out something uh, uh, truly amazing that hasn't been talked about enough. Um, I want to think about, I want you guys to think about a year ago um, where the players who were playing for Duke were and what they were doing, Uh, because a year ago, the guys who were playing for UNC we're all playing a lot of minutes for UNC. This is a very – one of the reasons UNC has been the preseason favorite, um, one of the reasons UNC has been highly touted this season, everyone says they have a great shot at the national title, is because this is a team full of juniors and seniors or extremely experienced sophomores. They don't even have any freshmen who play meaningful minutes at all. Well, so the the five guys who played for Duke, well, one of them is a senior, but uh, MP3, uh, you know – prior to last year, really never played it very much at all in his Duke career. And even last year, he was a fairly far down the bench. I mean, he played when Jaleel Okafor didn't play, and Jaleel Okafor played a heck of a lot of games. So, you know, he's a lightly experienced, very lightly experienced senior. Arguably,
1: on Marshall Plumley going into this season even, there was concern, like, what exactly is Duke going to do? Because it's not like Marshall can play more than, like, 15 minutes a game because he never has. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that was was our most experienced dude.
2: (laughs) Right, right. And and so, and and we also have, so that's our senior. We, We also had a sophomore. We had no juniors in the game because Matt Jones gets injured. We have a sophomore, Grayson Allen, who essentially did not play the first two thirds of the season last year. Now, yeah, he came on strong down the stretch. He single handedly destroyed like Wake and Clemson during games in the regular season. And then he had the great final four. But Grayson Allen, from a minute standpoint, you know, is like a, very, very, very lightly experienced um, a sophomore. And then we had three freshmen, one of whom shit, was a high school junior a year ago, came to school early. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's absurd that these guys have bonded into a team this quickly, that they play like they know each other this well. It, it is a tremendous tribute to what Coach K does uh, in building and crafting a team. And I want to remind you guys... Like two or three weeks ago when Duke was looking really bad and I said, hey, look, this feels kind of like maybe like last year. Remember, Duke looked really bad and suddenly they came together. Well, lo and behold, suddenly they've come together again. And I'm going to tell you something, you, you go out to Vegas um, if you say to Vegas, hey, Matt Jones is coming back, and we think Emile Jefferson's coming back too, Las Vegas is going to tell you that Duke's one of the favorites for the national title, just like they were last year.
1: And, and right. looking at Your that, turn. And, at, I was going to say, and looking at that at that stretch in January, it does almost feel like that happens to Duke every season, where they where they take a couple of punches early in the ACC season, and there was all the talk about Duke isn't going to win 20 games, Duke isn't going to make the tournament, all these things. Um, now, all of a sudden, it's Duke has won 20 games for, the I think, the 20th straight season, dating back to the, you know, to the, to the lost Coach K season from '95. Um, Duke is is solidly in the ACC race. I know we're going to talk about the ACC race, and I believe I saw um, Seth Davis tweet out the other day that, that now Duke is a lock making the tournament. You know, it's not exactly clear where they'll what seed line they're going to be on or anything, but they're not missing the tournament now. They've beaten you know the the stretch of games of beating Louisville, Virginia, and North Carolina. Lu- beating Louisville right after the announcement comes that they're that they're not going to be um, playing in the postseason, beating a Virginia team that has been, you know, the strongest, regularly strongest ACC team in the last three years, and then beating a UNC team on the road that at this point people think are, are, you know, a, a good shot at the, at the final four although now you know maybe not given given the what the coaching situation is like that stretch of games for duke was you know one of the best stretches that any team in the country has had this season uh and and i don't think it's deflated at all by the by losing to louisville i did want to touch back on roy williams uh because we had kind of started talking about him had i i can't think of another scenario like this where you have a a coach who Is very clearly a hall of famer. I mean, he, Lori Williams has been in the basketball hall of fame for a number of years now. He led two different UNC teams to the national championship, right? He he led one team with mostly players who were recruited by Matt Doherty. And then he led a team of players that were all recruited by him. Um, So it's not like, you know, he had a flash in the pan thing. You know, he's, he's made a lot of final fours. He made the final four with Kansas um, for, for a number of years when he was there has continued that success at UNC and and it, and it's really only been the last couple of years, I think, that things have, have taken a downturn. And, and you can say that a lot of that is on the, is on the, um, the academic scandal and, and the effect that that's having on, on recruits and things like that. Obviously, the recruiting for Roy Williams has, has gone down a, a, a significant margin since the days when he was getting kids like Tyler Hansborough and, and Ty Lawson. Um, but I can't remember a, a scenario like this where a fan base turned – I mean, fan bases turn on coaches they like all the time. But turning on a coach who, you know, was an assistant for a long time at UNC, was always kind of a UNC guy and who has come back and, and since, has, since he's been back in Chapel Hill, has been to the Final Four a few times, has won two national championships, has had All-Americans and Players of the Year and all these things, and all of a sudden the, the whole fan base just seems to, to want him out immediately. I mean, the, the downturn has been so swift uh, on Roy Williams. I'm wondering what you guys think. I can't think of another scenario like this. Um, I can't coach where the coach was so successful. Go ahead. Tell me what
0: it is. I will will say, I I will say where the coach is under microcosm and you know what? It's, it's Ohio state when they, when John Cooper was very successful, um, went to a lot of of bowl games, a couple of Rose bowls, but was one and nine against Michigan. And that was the reason why he got fired. Um, I believe Roy Williams, this is four in a row um, that he's lost. I believe it's 11 and three um, Duke's record over UNC over the last like six seasons. Um, that is why people are getting upset because they, especially when a lot of those games are "quote unquote" against Duke teams that they should beat. Of course, they think they should beat us all the time. We think we should beat them all the time. But there has been some games that we have "quote." I, I don't want to say the word "stolen," but we. I mean, I would say 2012. That was a game that we stole. This one, not so much. I think we fought hard and we deserved to win the game. Um, and, and I think there has only been a couple games over the years where we. Um, on paper may have been thinner than UNC, but still pulled out of victory, especially on the road. I think that is probably the cause for most of UNC's uh, UNC fans' um, concern is the fact that these great teams that they have built over the years still can't beat their biggest rival when it matters.
2: Uh, you know, I'll give you a coach that got, that got forced out late um, who was, and you're going to be like, oh man, yeah, Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden at Florida State that's, in the final that's, couple years. I, mean,
1: I, I liked both of your examples, but mm-hmm. the Bobby Bowden one is one that I remember more regularly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Bobby Bowden uh, winning coach in, in, wasn't he like the winniest coach in college football history or, you know, it was like him and, and Paterno were it sort was, of vying he, it, back and
1: forth. He, yeah. He ended up, he ended up in second place, although for a while uh, he was in first because they were take they had taken Paterno's wins away and then they put him back.
2: Right. Right. But, but multiple national titles and stuff, but the final couple years, um, when things were going south and, and he wasn't really recruiting the way they wanted it to, uh, there were there was plenty of agitation among the Florida State fan base. But uh, l- let me tell you why. Now, so uh, you know, we we've talked about how great Duke played. Time for me to, to rail on Roy Williams a little bit. Let me tell you why. Um, Roy Williams is in trouble with his fan base, um, and and I think it sort of starts with recruiting because they're seeing how badly UNC is getting destroyed in recruiting. If you were a sixteen or seventeen year old stud basketball player right now, today, um, you know, if you're, you know, a junior or senior in in high school right now, what's your recollection of UNC? Well, they they won a national title when you were about eight or nine years old. Did did your mother let you stay up to watch that game? Probably not. Are there any UNC players who are really impactful players in the NBA who are on Sports Center? Sports Center talks about all the time. Harrison Barnes, Danny Green, Harrison, the Barnes? Only, Danny Harrison the, Barnes, the best one. At, oh, or, yeah, uh, or Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes is like the fifth best player in Golden State. He certainly doesn't make the Golden State highlights very much. Danny Green? Danny Green's probably the sixth best player in San Antonio. He's not having – he signed a big off-season deal for San Antonio, but he's easily having his worst season since like 2011. That's I will it.
1: Point out, as, I will point out, as a Washington former Bullets fan, I would love to have either of those guys on our team continue.
2: Okay, but but in any <laughs> event, <laughs> yeah. who's, the, who's the third best Carolina player in the pros right now? Michael Jordan. Yeah, Michael Michael Jordan. No, is it John Henson? Is it Raymond Felton? Is it Tyler
0: Zeller?
2: Ty Lawson, maybe. That's probably. No,
1: I mean, but but you can't you you can't use Ty Lawson in recruiting today.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: If you lined up, if you lined up current Duke players in the NBA and UNC players in the NBA, I don't think there would be two Carolina guys in the top ten. I'm not sure Harrison Barnes would be in the top five. Certainly Kyrie Irving. J.J. Redick, uh, uh, Rodney Hood, um, probably Jabari low. Parker, Okafor, uh, Winslow. Um, you know, Miami would trade Wins would never trade Winslow straight up for Barnes right now. They'd laugh at that deal. Um, UNC is like a non-factor in the NBA. Their team hasn't been good in several years, and the story continually coming out of Carolina is. That guys like Marcus Page, who could have turned pro after his sophomore year and been a near lottery pick, is now not even a third-team all-ACC player who's not going to get drafted. Guys like Justin Jackson, who, who could have come out, um, has seen their stock drop. Theo Pinson was a top 15 recruit. He's not even on the NBA's radar at the at the moment. Kennedy Meeks. Uh, these are all guys who've seen their stock drop year after year. It's like every year you play for Roy Williams, your NBA stock gets worse and worse. And, and now... Now we have the entire media doing nothing but talking about what a bad coach Roy is and how Roy got outcoached and how his team doesn't play hard. How can Carolina recruit at all? Carolina fans, I'm telling you something. If they're really smart, they're rooting for those sanctions. They want those sanctions to come down. They want them to hit the program hard, and they want Roy Williams to retire. Because I'll tell you something. Over at Kansas, since Bill Self replaced Roy Williams, they're not missing Roy Williams one bit, and Carolina wants to be able to upgrade the way Kansas did.
1: And. Um, so I, I pulled up the stats. Roy Williams is now 10 and 16 against Duke as the head coach at Carolina, according to Wikipedia. Um, and I know there was a point maybe in like, you know, 2010, 2011 area um, where he had a winning record against Duke and it has, it has all come tumbling down since then. Right. I mean, what, what's the stat 11 of the last 14 that Duke has won. Yeah. So,
2: Something like that. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's a, uh, that I mean, it's, it's an amazing fall from grace for a coach who, you know, up until a few years ago was, was you know the best coach in the conference for for that that first few years that he was there, um, so it, it's uh, it, it, I, it's incredible um, how much how much it's fallen off and the the recruiting and, and all that stuff. I mean, all the things you mentioned, Jason, are true. Um yeah. well, go ahead. Well, and, and, and
2: I want I want well really quick. I want to add one more thing about um, uh, that some people have latched onto about Roy. Um, so in the post game news conference, when they're all like. Uh, Roy, how come you didn't call timeout? And he's like, well, you know, we have this theory that you know you're going and the defense isn't set, and 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 this is the way Dean told me to do it. It's like Roy's blaming things on on the long dead Dean Smith. Um, uh, and but Roy went ahead and said that um, maybe I should have uh, called timeout. He, well, yeah. He, well, he no, no. What he did was he said, you know, I want to apologize to my team. Uh, yeah, timeout probably would have made more sense. But then he said, but if I was in that situation again, I'd do it the exact same way. How can you apologize? How can you say this was wrong? How can you say this didn't work? But oh, put me in the same situation and I'll do it again. Isn't doing the same thing over and over again and not having it work the definition of insanity? He, he doesn't make any sense. And and this is just yet another. It's like Roy doesn't need, he can't get out of his own way. So I want
0: to shift the focus slightly uh, to one of the players on the court that everyone at the end probably would have assumed get, would get the ball out of said timeout and that's Marcus Page um, I don't know if you guys g- got a chance to read this article from Sports Channel 8 um, which was about it basically said Duke UNC a disjointed look at a disjointed finish um, and I want to take your uh, attention to a paragraph that I you know we talked about this on Wednesday we talked about it a little bit on Sunday on uh, our last couple podcasts about Marcus Page and his ability Uh, or lack thereof in the the closing moments of big games. So they said, while a timeout would likely put the ball in Page's hands, he did himself no favors in the possession by being completely stagnant. For a player who has made his share of clutch plays at North Carolina, Page wanted no part of that final possession. While we all have a blind spot when it comes to Page, as evidenced by his back-to-back preseason ACC Player of the Year awards, it's telling that Duke had Kennard on Page and Allen on Jackson. Not only did Page shy away from the final possession – it was almost like Duke expected him to. And that last line is the one that caught my eye because it was literally what we had just been talking about, that Marcus Page and a lot of these players, you know, Roy Williams does not put his players in the best positions to win. And if you have a guy like Marcus Page who is supposed to be your best player, I mean, we all know this year it's Bryce Johnson, but for the last four years we've heard about how Marcus Page is the one that's going to lead this team to – to the, to the promised land, and he hasn 't done it the fact that even still he had a chance to you know with Joel Berry the second having the ball in his hands um, and that 's usually not the best pl- player on the court to have for the final possession. He had a chance to call three timeouts to figure it out, and he had and he used zero of them um, but in the end, you have these players like Marcus Page, who for some reason or not they get to they get to uNC and they become worse, and the you know Marcus Page would have been a lottery pick if he left after freshman year and as you said he may not even get drafted Um uh, he, he probably will stick somewhere um for like summer league but that's that's all we're looking at for Marcus Page uh and I I don't know why players I, I think players are you know that are in high school right now are seeing things like that they see you know James Michael McAdoo who would have been top three if he had left after his freshman year and where is he now? Like we we have not heard from him since he left after his well, it was his junior year. Actually, um, I, so, I think he made an NBA roster.
1: I think he was on the Warriors at some point.
0: He was at one point, but he like he's not. He ain't, there now. He ain't making big money. He ain't making big no. money. That's for right. sure. So we have these players that come in with high expectations because it's UNC. They kind of get uh, you know. They're like, oh, well, this guy is going to be the one. If, if, of all these, these highly touted freshmen that come coming in, this guy, Marcus Page, is going to be the guy. This guy, McAdoo, is going to be the guy. And they somehow, in big games, they don't show up. Or, they sh- or when, the, when the chips are down and they need a guy to be the leader and lead the team to victory, they don't have that guy. And that we've seen that over the last few years. And I think that is also effective recruiting because take away the, the sanctions – players see that too. They see if they come to UNC that these guys who are all-world athletes are not developing well under Roy Williams' regime and they're not uh they're not putting themselves into a position that will get them to the next level which is what they're all looking for.
2: So I think that's a very big thing that UNC has to address. Uh they got to change the narrative. They got to change the narrative and, exactly. and they haven't been able to. Uh, and Brandon Ingram I think could have been the guy to change the narrative for them. Um although i mean you have to question you have to wonder uh uh, would brandon ingram have been better off at unc than duke i mean no there's there's uh, no one on this planet
1: (laughs) he'd he'd only be playing 25 minutes a game um because roy insists on on the long bench so he wouldn't be getting i don't think he'd he'd get he'd be getting nearly the exposure that he does at duke
2: right well and 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 the other thing is uh, the the way roy plays offense um, is very much you know they're trying to do these patterns or they're moving it inside and stuff like that it's not a lot of one-on-one show off your skills and, and prove that you're better than the guy who's guarding you which is which is what the NBA does a lot and it's what Duke does a lot I mean Jay Billis commented during the UNC game and he said he goes I feel like you know when Duke was basically running Brandon Ingram ISO and then Grayson Allen ISO and then Brandon Ingram ISO and, and back and forth he said it feels like I'm watching an NBA game um, and that's not a criticism that's that's Coach K recognizing I've got two guys who you cannot stop. So I'm going to put the ball in their hands and let each one of them do their thing. And there's no way you'd get a chance to do that at, at UNC. It's just not the nature of the way they play offense. Um, And so as long as we are, Donald brought up an article he liked, I'm going to bring up an article that I liked. And you know what, folks, we'll, we'll post the URLs for these articles in the podcast thread so that people can read them if they haven't read them before. The one I'm picking there, there's a uh, there's a thing called RaleighCo.com, which is a collection of writers who live in the Triangle area. Um, you know, it's not specific to any newspaper or magazine or anything like that. It's sort of just an online magazine. Um, but RaleighCo has a, has an article um, uh, about about the five guys for Duke who who played forever, and and it's just it's a fabulous article. It's beautifully, wonderfully written. But my favorite part of the article is the part where it talks about Grace and Allen, and um, It refers to Grayson Allen as the Terminator. And I'm going to read for you a a couple little lines from it. It says, Grayson Allen played all 40 minutes. He may not look the part with his prep school bully good looks and his floor-slapping, teammate-hugging displays of emotion on the court. But make no mistake, he's a futuristic killing machine sent back in time. As the movie says, it cannot be bargained with. It cannot be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Great line from the or Terminator. Until, or, until and before, that, or until it flows out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, right, yeah so, but but the article goes on and says, that's why Duke won. They have Grayson Allen and no one else does. Duke always has a player like Grayson Allen. And that's because those futuristic killing machine Terminators are built in the image of their coach, Coach K. It's a great article, folks. you got to read the whole thing. It's just a lot of fun. Um, and, and Sam, I think you've got a good one, a good article that, that's your favorite as well, right?
1: Yeah, it was from the uh, from the Greensboro News and Record, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, or that what Donald was talking about, it, uh, how the um, about how the uh, UNC guys kind of shrunk from the moment in that last play, um, and kind of was uh, kind of yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I, I you know I I want to be nice, um, the, but there's a there's a paragraph where it then it's talking about uh, it has the same quote about Roy Williams talking about Coach Smith, and then um, the author reverts back and said he had all of his timeouts left. He learned that from Dean Smith too. save your timeouts until you need them. Barry thought that Williams wanted a timeout. The point guard dribbled toward the bench, not once looking at his teammates who were all looking at him in various stages of resignation. No one wanted the ball. The game clock wound down inside 10 seconds and Williams still could have called a timeout. I mean, the, the thing that we, it's a good article and it, and it highlights all the different, all the different players in the team. It says, uh, Kennedy Meeks might as well have been sitting with the rest of the students behind the baseline. Um, but the thing that it really emphasizes, I think, there is how much time there was left. And, and Donald talked about, you know, that um, that that Roy Williams was saying he likes to just go and, and not let the defense get set. By the time Joel Berry got across um, got across half court, the Duke defense was ready to go. I mean, they were they were ready to go well before that. And Barry kind of just dribbled up casually because I guess he figured that they were going to call timeout. And Williams was like, no, 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 go. Um, it was a total miscommunication between them, and and the whole point of not calling a timeout. I could kind of see it if like if there were like twelve seconds left when they inbounded the ball, and they got it up the court, you know, in three seconds, and then there were only nine seconds left, and and UNC has time to like run a little motion and then and then get a shot off. Um, I could see that working for them, but but there were like twenty seconds left in the game. Um, you know, the, the Duke defense knows they got to go pack it in, and if and if UNC does take a quick shot there's still like 10 or 15 seconds left for Duke to get the ball back, run, run up the court and, and get their own, you know, decent offensive possession, be it with, with Grayson Allen or with Brandon or many of those guys. Um, and, uh, and, and it, and it just highlights kind of that, that, that total lack of, um, of a, of a sound game plan and how Roy Williams was trying to, was trying to fit, you know, one version of the, of his game plan into a situation that didn't, that didn't, um that didn't say that it was, it was useful. I also wanted to, um, highlight a thing. I don't know if you guys saw this yesterday. Um, UNC did to their credit, come back and beat the crap out of Miami uh, on Saturday afternoon.
2: Earlier,
1: earlier in the day, um, uh, fan favorite Doug Gottlieb had had, I think casually mentioned on the radio that he had heard from some people that Roy Williams was thinking about retiring. Um, and, and I like, I know that Duke fans like to give Doug Gottlieb a lot of grief, um, for maybe some of the things that he did while he was in college, and then and some things he said about Duke over the years, but uh, it it's not. I mean, we can't deny that Doug Gottlieb is like a college basketball insider, right? He talks to lots of college basketball coaches. He hosts a show, everything about this, and it seems like what he said was pretty pretty harmless. It was like Roy Williams is thinking about retiring, but it's not. You know, everybody kind of knows this, but but it's not it's not a done deal or anything yet. And Roy Williams, I guess, just allowed this moment to um, or the, this this thing to boil over and, and he went totally nuts on Doug Gottlieb at his press conference afterwards, um, uh, you know, accusing him of, of spreading false information and all these things. Um, and there was a, there was a little bit of an uproar about it. Um, all the people who were at Roy Williams's press conference after the Miami game were like, yeah, UNC won, but like, did you, did everybody catch the bit about, about Doug Gottlieb? Um, you can tell that Roy's getting frustrated by, by what's going on. And, and it, it showed, I think very much in that, in that moment for him.
2: Well, and I'll tell you something, if you're a, um, if you're Roy Williams and, and you know that recruiting is an issue for you because of the looming scandal and because there's all this talk that you don't develop players and that your guys don't go to the NBA. So you're having trouble getting top recruits. And now there's talk that you're going to retire. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's the worst of all worlds from a recruiting standpoint. Um, Just, just a nightmare for Carolina to be able to, to bring in, um, you know, Carolina's still going to get top 50 kind of players. Um, but to get top twenty kind of players, which is, you know, that's probably what you need at this, you know, at this level um, to to compete and, and be one of the top ten teams in the country and have a shot at the national title. Carolina is really really struggling in that regard.
1: I also wanted to wanted to add about the thing on Gottlieb um, the uh, the News Observer reporter Andrew Carter who covers UNC. Um, he he tweeted out. I'm looking at his timeline from yesterday. He tweeted out um, that that um, the that that rant that Roy delivered was after uh, the press conference was over. He said he came back to give it, the presser was over, and he remembered he wanted to say it. So Roy Williams had already finished with his press conference and then and then came back to the podium, uh, you know, a few seconds later to talk about Doug Gottlieb. I mean, the, the the thing, that you know, things just aren't working out for him right now.
0: No, they aren't. And you know what, we could talk about this for, the next two and a half weeks, but we probably shouldn't. We should uh, entertain our, our viewers and switch to uh, reviewing the uh, Louisville game, which was uh, yesterday. Um, we ended up going down uh, 71-64. Uh, it was a very tough game. There was a lot, to, there's a lot to talk about from this game. Let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. What What were your takeaways from this game? And I'm sure there was a lot of them.
1: There's kind of two big things I wanted to highlight, you know, like macro things I wanted to highlight about the, Louisville game. The first being that Duke needs to stay healthy. Um, their margin for error right now. And, and, and I think we we chose not to talk about it uh, on Wednesday night after the UNC game. But with Matt Jones out, the, this team is, is incredibly fit. I mean, the guys are all very talented and and it seems like they can all hold their own, um, you know, from a from a fatigue perspective for 40 minutes. But um, the foul trouble, I mean, every foul that gets called on Duke is a big deal because every guy can foul out and doesn't have somebody to replace him. Um, and when Derek Thornton went out in the second half, it was like, Oh God! Like now, Chase Jeter's gonna have to play the last ten minutes of the game, and Thornton ended up coming back in. Um, but it was a it was a big scary moment for Duke. Uh, Plumlee had four fouls. Uh, Grayson Allen ended up fouling out. Although it was that was basically like the end of the game um, when Allen ended up fouling out. Although I I mean I, I kept watching, and it kind of le- leads me to my second macro item, which is that I can't believe the amount of heart that this team has shown um, with with Emil Jefferson and Matt Jones. They're two. Uh, they're two captains, the only two guys in the team that have played significant minutes for Duke in, you know, last year and in previous years, uh, those guys both being out. I think there was, there was talk before the game that, um, that Matt Jones was available to play, but it, it seems like that was just a big, um, that was just a big diversion and he wasn't actually going to get off the bench. They just dressed him so that Louisville would get scared about it. But um, the amount of heart, especially from a guy like Grayson Allen, who the way that he plays, obviously, you know, he, he terminators his way to the basket and, uh, and is looking for contact a lot and it seems like since he since he got that quote no call against virginia um the referees just don't want to don't want to give him anything anymore uh, especially you know if he's going to be playing on the road and um and there were a lot of times yesterday where where grayson allen you know was using all of his effort to draw the foul and get the basket and sometimes he didn't get the calls uh, i thought there were i thought the refereeing yesterday it's not that the refereeing was against duke i just thought it was inconsistent from like like early in the game, it seemed like they were calling it loose. And then they started calling it really tight um, in the middle of the game. And then it loosened up again. And I think there was some frustration about the consistency of the play calls. Uh, You know, you want to, you want to say, I think a neutral observer might say like, Oh, Grayson Allen needs to keep his cool after he fouls out. So he doesn't get that technical, maybe that technical, you know, the, Duke got called for two technicals in the second half, one for Mike Krzyzewski and one for Grayson Allen, which led to free throws, although one of them led to uh, a couple of missed free throws. But, you know, you have to say, oh, the, the guys need to keep their cool, et cetera, et cetera. I don't mind Grayson Allen doing that. He's, you know, he knows, and everybody I think on the bench knows that once he's out of the game and we have to play a walk-on uh, at, at shooting guard, that the game is already, the game's already over. Um, what he does from there on out, I think, is, is irrelevant. Uh so I I'd like to say that I admire the the heart that he showed uh and the and the determination and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, it, it's he he's become one of the one of the most fun players for Duke fans to root for because he because he cares so much and, and he does follow in a in a long line of Duke players who I think who leave all that emotion out there. And it's not a it's not a white guy thing, it's not a it's not a little guy thing. I think it's just a it's just a Duke thing and that um and that he's he's taken that mantle up um pretty admirably. And so to hit to him and to all the rest of the guys in the team, just a huge um, a huge shout out for the for the heart that they showed in that Louisville game because it could have gotten away from them a lot earlier than it did. So
0: I, I, uh, Look, I a couple I, things. Hold on, the, I think Grayson fouled out with like 3:55 left in the game. It was Kennard that fouled out late. Oh, we right, right, put right. in uh, Pagliusha. Um, right. That was uh, when Allen fouled out. Is when Thornton checked back in the game, but. I I think one of the things that, and I'll I'll kick it to you in a, in a minute, uh, Jason. But one of the things of, of Grayson Allen that I think changed momentum and why the frustration came out at that moment. If you guys recall, obviously, you know we all recall earlier in that half, um, Jalen Johnson elbowed him in the face uh, during a scrum for a turning loose ball. point in the game. And it, was a point, point it was the turning point in the game. Absolutely. And, and that momentum really changed because one, Jalen Johnson should have been ejected for that, in my opinion. And two, the the charge call that was called, which was, in my opinion, a very, very terrible call. Jalen Johnson was the one that was in the game and drew that drew that charge, which led to uh, Grayson losing his cool after being filed out of the game and getting a technical. So I think the momentum changed after Jalen Johnson's technical. Um, because I think he should have been thrown out of the game. It was at that point that Louisville knew that they could be play, uh, increase their pressure, be in our face, really talk a lot of trash, be very physical, and the refs weren't calling it um, because they knew if that wasn't going to get somebody thrown out of the game, then then what what will? So they basically that's where the momentum changed, in my opinion, and I think it was very. Uh, I think that's where the refs lost control of this game. Um, and it really affected our players because we only had four players at the end of the game. We had four players in in the last person, one of the last people on our bench um, playing those last, you know, 54 seconds of the game when we still had a chance to, uh, you know, come back and force overtime. Uh, but Jason, I'll kick it to you.
2: Well, so I don't know that I have anything to add. That was exactly what I was going to say, that the, the Jalen Johnson technical was a a clear, or, or you know, the, it, it, I sorry, the Jalen Johnson technical that was not, a serious technical that was not a, you're getting kicked out for that kind of action. Technical was a clear sign to Louisville. Um, and, and, and it was like the refs were essentially saying to each other, Hey guys, we're going to let them beat the crap out of Duke. We just are. And, and that's what happened for the rest of that game. And, and the refs swallowed their whistles and I don't want to be, I I hate people who blame games on refs. I'm not going to blame it on the officials. Um, you know, Duke had chances, uh, to win aside from that. But, um, the refs had a pretty large say in how that game played out, and they allowed Louisville to play the way Louisville wanted to play, um, which was extremely, extremely physical, uh, withering full court defense with lots of hand checking, lots of pushing. Um, they were trying to wear down uh, a Duke team that is the thinnest team in the country at this point, um, and and the refs allowed them to do it, and I mean, and that's that's why Duke lost that ball game. Um, I understand And then the
1: other thing. Okay. Sorry, uh, really
2: quick, I was going to say the, the other thing was, um, other than other than Grace Allen, you know, one of the things that Duke's been able to do this year very effectively is we've gotten multiple guys to step up. Um, Allen has pretty consistently been there, and to some extent, Brandon Ingram has been his running mate almost all season long. Um, but we've been able to get other guys to step up and 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 give us valuable contributions. Um, and and yesterday for the Louisville game, it kind of felt like there wasn't anyone else helping Grayson out too much. I mean, you know, uh, MP3 had 14 rebounds, which was huge, and he was very solid inside. Um, but, uh, you know, Kennard didn't have a great game, certainly didn't have a good game shooting. Um, Ingram had 10 turnovers, and, and I feel like the, the wear of... Uh, Brandon Ingram's been playing 40 minutes a game lately. Um, you know, uh, uh, he carried us at times against UNC. I think it finally caught up with, with a kid who's thin and who's young and who's in, um, in his first uh, major college season. Um, uh, Brandon Ingram... Uh, Probably his worst game of the year last uh, yesterday. or certainly very close to it. And again, I'm not blaming him. But it's just we didn't have anybody else who could sort of step up and help out Grayson. Um, although, a real quick shout-out, Chase Jeter wasn't horrible. I, no, yeah, I agree. You know?
1: You're correct. Mm-hmm. And he played
2: 17 minutes. I mean, this yeah. was... And I think he like doubled his output, <laughs> his positive output from, and he was three for three at the free throw line. Yeah, he, he oh. was actually a good free
1: throw shooter and had a and had an impressive end one at one point, right?
2: Yeah, yes. That? In the first half, he did first half right yeah. as in the
0: game. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, it's not all, but and like I said at the very very start of the podcast, um, before we got into the thirty minutes of, of enjoying the UNC victory, um, I, I'll take it. We were on the road. Uh, against a very good Louisville team that is unbelievably motivated to win every single regular season game that they can because they're trying to win the ACC title. Um, uh, The refs allowed them to do just some horrible things to Duke. We were playing with only five players. I I mean, like you couldn't – I can't construct a scenario where Duke wins that game. So, hey, yeah, we had a nice lead. And we played them, you know, really hard the whole way, and it got away at the end. When, you know, when, when we were down to, to only three players, you know, so I, I, I'll take it. I, I, I don't feel bad about that at all. Um, and I'm betting that uh, people who watch college basketball, again, were impressed with Duke. Um, their opinion of Duke is going up. And I think Duke only improved their chances of becoming um, a real, real dangerous, dangerous team in March with a game they lost.
1: And every time, every time that that Louisville would would sub guys in, there were like you know a bunch of moments where they take two guys out, put two different guys in. I was always watching those and trying to see if the camera would pan at any of the Duke players in that moment who to to look for looks on their faces, like man, I wish I wish two of us could come off the court right now and take a <laughs> breath. Um, yeah. But but they didn't, you know, they, and they held strong. And as you said, envisioning a way for Duke to win this game when when two of the five available players foul out. Um, you know, it, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. Um, and and we said before the stretch, and I think I mentioned it on Wednesday night, that Duke had this had the stretch of Louisville, UVA, UNC, Louisville, and if Duke could go two and two in that stretch, they were in great shape. And they went three and one, and in the one game that they lost, they were competitive right until they didn't have enough players um, to be competitive anymore. So uh, that that shows you how much how great that effort was, um, and and it's reflected in. Uh, I think the way Duke is going to be ranked this week, I think it's reflected in the Ken Palm rankings. It's reflected everywhere in the, in the national conversation. I did want to go back to that, um, to that should have been flagrant two foul, and wonder it was it was Johnson right for for Louisville that yeah yeah that, yes. that, that yes. foul. What so I I was trying to figure this out while I was watching it. The scrum happens for the ball. He elbows Grayson. You know, I, like I don't think his elbow of Grayson was intentional. But then he kind of turned around and like freaked out. What did he freak out about? I don't understand what, like how that, because because the, the situation happened really quickly and then all of a sudden he was standing up and, and his teammates and the referee were all like holding him back and Grayson was still like on the ground um, and, and the rest of the Duke guys had kind of forgotten about what was going on and were just trying to make sure he was
0: okay. Like what what, what led him to freak out so much? I have no idea, but there's also Uh-oh. the fact that, you know, after the elbow, you see a couple of hands throw it, come in and it's almost like, I I, I thought it was a punch. Um, it looked like a punch, and I. It, it, the only thing was, it was unclear as to who it came from. You kind of assume it was Johnson because of his reaction, but I don't know what sparked it, and I, I'm not sure if that was something where you know they wanted to test Allen and and kind of you know be like, look, you're you know this is going to be you on the ground all night, because I, I I keep harping back to let's let's flip the let's flip the script a little bit. If that's Allen doing that. And you know, we're talking about that Dana O'Neill article that came out a couple weeks oh, ago. About college basketball basketball oh game. man, yeah. yeah. If that was yeah. Allen doing that, come on now. We'd be talking we'd have to talk about that for the rest of the rest of the decade. Um, but because it was on Allen, it was almost like it was dismissed as part of the game, the physical nature. And and I I don't understand why more was made out of that. And, and they don't even like in the highlights, they wouldn't even mention. Um, they mentioned the two technicals that we had, but they didn't even mention the fact that homeboy should have been ejected for an elbow, a direct elbow to the face, which is by the textbook is a, is a flagrant two in an automatic ejection, even if it well, wasn't. By, in- by the
2: way, it was it was pointed out to me that even if you decided not to eject him for for the for the elbow, um, his reaction afterwards, um, uh, you know, officials look at that kind of stuff, the way he was acting was enough officials to say, you know what, combined, you threw an elbow and then you went crazy, you're not playing anymore. Um, I, they, they could have done that as well. But, uh, you know, it, it was what it was. Uh, bottom line, Duke 3-1 and one during this stretch. Where Duke is in the ACC standings at 9-5. and five, Where Duke is in terms of everyone's impression of them. Ken Pomeroy has them at number 10 in the country at this point. By the way, have you noticed our defense? Our defense in Pomeroy is up to 88 Yep. Um remember remember when we were like one fifty? We were, we're talking about that. Yep. Yeah, Don and I were yeah, talking I mean, about this, that before
1: you jumped on.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This 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 Duke team is getting better and better defense and, and we're not sacrificing offense to do it. We still have the number two offense in the country, just a little bit behind Notre Dame. Um uh according to Pomeroy's rankings. But you know, this is the year everyone's like, Oh, it's a toss up, it's a tough year. There, there are ten or twelve teams that could win it. Duke's one of them. Duke is absolutely one of them this year
1: especially if Emil Jefferson comes back because that defense that is currently ranked 88th in Ken Palm and has been better, much better than 88th in the country. I think over the last month,
2: Oh, um, it'll be a top 20 defense put, for sure. If yeah. you,
1: if you put Emil Jefferson back in on, on this team, and I think there's an argument to be made about who the best individual defender on this team is, I think it's Emil Jefferson. And if you put him back on this team and kind of sort out the offense a little bit, uh, like, like you make the offense better by putting Jefferson in and you definitely make the defense better because he, he's much better at captaining the defense. I think than anybody else is, um, all of a sudden, this is maybe like a top twenty defense, and not like a top fifty defense the way it is probably now.
0: So, yeah. you mentioned ACC standings. Let's let's end the uh, Louisville talk. Let's kick it into the uh, the ACC stands standings as they reflect right now. Um, obviously, um, with Louisville not eligible for the postseason, it creates a logjam, and there already is a logjam um, at the top of the ACC um, and really the top half of the ACC. I believe the top eight teams are separated by only three games in a loss column so uh it really is anybody's uh any uh, there's a lot of teams who have the possibility of getting that double buy and being in the top four um for the acc tournament in a couple of weeks jason i'll start with you you know like looking at the standings right now and kind of looking at the next couple of weeks who do you think are the teams that uh, will eventually get that double buy and be in the top four
2: well, so I'll tell you, I did an interesting thing. I went ahead and I looked at the uh, all the teams from Syracuse on up. Syracuse is 8-7. and seven. All the teams from Syracuse on up, I looked at their remaining schedule um, to, to figure out, hey, who's going to get there? Who's going to get into that top four? Syracuse is 8-7. and they got games left against NC State, at UNC, and at Florida State. I don't think, even if they win out, I don't think that seven wins is going to get you into the top four. Um, it it, it seven, may come close, losses. but... Seven, seven losses, losses. I apologize. Yeah. Seven losses, right. Um, and I'm not sure... Uh, you know, they've got some, some tough games left. I'm not sure they're going to get there anyway. So then you come to the teams with six losses, Clemson and Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh has, has a couple really tough games this week. Pittsburgh is eight and six. They got Louisville and Duke. Both those games are at home, but those are two very, very tough wins. Then they go on the road at Virginia Tech and at Georgia Tech. I think they need to win out. And even then Pittsburgh, Pitt has bad tiebreakers. So Pitt, I don't think is going to make it. Um, Clemson, if they win out, has a decent shot. And Clemson has a good shot, a decent shot, at least I should say, two win out. Clemson's 9-6. and six. They play at Georgia Tech and at BC, two road games, but two road games against two bad ACC teams. Um, and they have a home game against UVA. Now, that's going to be a tough one. But if Clemson wins out and gets to 12-6, and six, um, they've got a couple decent tiebreakers over some teams. Clemson is in this mix, for sure. Um, Notre Dame is 9-5. and five. Um, if they win out, Notre Dame for sure is going to make it their, their remaining games. They're at wake, very winnable game. They're at Florida state, tough game, but they should win it. And they have NC state at home. Um, Notre Dame's in, in good shape. Those three games, uh, you know, they're going to be favored. I think in all three of those games, I'm sorry, I, I left out. They also play Miami. <laughs> Oops. All four of the All four. Of the, I forgot they play Miami. So, uh, if they win out, they'll make it. I think the Miami game is a tough one, but the, their tiebreaker over Duke is huge. Um, And I think Notre Dame has a very good chance of making it. I I think they will, they also probably are going to get to 12 and six. um, And I think 12 and six will probably be there. Duke's games. Duke has three eminently winnable games. They're at home against Florida state. They're at Pittsburgh. They're at home against Wake Forest. Those, you know, those, those three Duke should take. And then they have UNC at home. And uh, Cameron, not too many teams winning in Cameron these days. So if Duke wins out and gets to eleven, uh, I'm sorry, gets to thirteen and five, Duke's getting one of those buys. But if we lose, you know, tiebreaker could be a problem for us because um, we don't have tiebreakers over Clemson, we don't have tiebreakers over Notre Dame, um, we don't have tiebreakers over Miami. We do have a tiebreaker over Virginia, and I want to talk about Virginia, Miami, and North Carolina, the three teams at the top. Um, all three of them. Especially hey, Miami and Virginia. Hey, yeah.
1: Jason, what about Louisville? Oh, sorry. Just kidding. Continue.
2: They don't make the tournament. Where they're staying good? home. Um, Miami and Virginia especially had a really tough final stretch of games. Here's Virginia's final four games. They're at Miami. They play UNC at home. They're at Clemson. And then they play Louisville at home. And by the way, that is Louisville's last game of the season. Louisville is per- maybe fighting for the conference title at that point. And... Louisville is going to be coming to play. That is a tough stretch. I'm telling you that it is eminently possible Virginia will not be favored, or if they're favored, will only be very, very lightly favored in all four of those games. Um, Virginia is currently 10 and four. If they go two and two in that stretch at Miami, UNC at home, at Clemson, and Louisville at home, two and two I think would be really good. Two and two get, puts them at 12 and six, and suddenly they're looking at not having a tiebreaker over Duke, Virginia could maybe be the team that gets left out let's talk about miami for a second they've also got a murderous closing stretch they've got uva and louisville at home then they're at notre dame and at virginia tech at virginia tech yes but again three really tough games there uh you know i'm not sure how many of those miami's gonna win so miami may also be 12 and 6 when when things you know when push comes to shove and then unc's at the top there, 11 and 3 i think unc's a lock to get get one of the buys. Um, Their games are more winnable. They're at NC State. Um, They're at UVA, which will be tough. They're at Duke, which will be tough. And they've got Syracuse at home. And I don't think Syracuse is going to come in and beat UNC at UNC. Um, You know, I think Carolina probably, they probably also go two and two, maybe three and one in this stretch. Um, But Carolina, I think, um, is going to probably get the 13 and five. That will certainly be there. So if you ask me to pick the teams that are going to get it, you're gonna you, you may laugh but I think it's going to be North Carolina I think it's gonna be Miami I think it's gonna be Duke and I think it's gonna be Notre Dame I think Virginia with a really really tough closing stretch is gonna be the one left out and the game coming up this week UVA at Miami is a huge huge game um, and the loser of that game probably I think may not make the double buy
1: and and the, that double buy is huge um, as far as keeping your guys healthy and rested because you still have to play three games after it. So playing the, the four games and in an ACC where, you know, there's only a couple bad teams. I think that by the time you get to the second day of the tournament, all the bad teams are gone and it's all competitive teams. I mean, you know, you have, you have a team like NC state, that's right down at the bottom of the ACC standings. And we know that AC, NC state has, you know, one of the first team, all ACC players, they have a couple really big time performers. They just happen to be four and 10 in conference. Um, I think that, yeah and look know,
2: we, we saw hey we saw Georgia Tech yesterday Georgia Tech beat Notre Dame yesterday right. which was a huge win uh really important for for Duke in the ACC standings um Georgia Tech was was four9 coming into that game I mean you'd think they're a team that's going nowhere um and and they 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 beat Notre Dame. yeah you' you're right um it's other than than wake BC
1: college yeah other than those two
2: yeah other than those two you can't tell me that any of these other teams are an easy win
1: I think my big takeaway from from what you just described, and, and I appreciate that analysis, it was really well done uh, and very thorough.
2: Um, there's no way, by the way, there's no way anyone kept up with all of that. I was talking too fast and it was, I should have written it down.
1: <laughs> the, the, big, uh, the, the big takeaway from that, though, is, man, the ACC regular season system really stinks. And I wish we just had, you know, eight teams in the conference and we played a true round robin, But, oh, well. Um, yeah. Pining for the days of yours. Unbalanced schedule.
2: That. Yeah. Unbalanced schedule is very difficult. And it always, it's always, always tough on Duke and UNC? Because they always play each other twice and they're always among the top teams in the conference. Although
1: Duke does also get to play Wake Forest twice every
0: year. So, that's
2: good. Yes. (laughs) At least for the time being.
0: So, here's here's the uh, other question I wanted to do. We're we're looking at the top half of the standings and we're focusing on that with good reason. Uh, But I want to ask the question uh, yesterday on uh, college game day, uh, Jay Bill has said that uh, Boston College has a chance to do what uh, I don't think anyone has done since 1930 and that has Uh, Be a school that has had a team go winless in football and basketball in a conference in the same season. Uh, Boston College is 0-13. They have three, or I'm sorry, four more games, five more games, three more games. Uh, And they could possibly become that team. Do they go winless the rest of the season?
1: They're terrible. I mean, they're like, they're like really, really bad. There's like nothing... There's nothing positive. I, I, I don't remember what ACC analysis I was reading the other day, um, but it was talking about the ACC and how there are, there are 15 teams because uh, you can't count Boston College. Um, I think they're going to go winless because, because I, I don't see what they're playing for and, and, and they're not talented at all. Um, there's no way to envision them winning any of these games.
2: Well, you know, the other thing is, if you look at their scores, like, they're rarely even in the game. You know, they had that game against Carolina where they only lost by three. But for the most part, they're losing by double digits. I'm looking over their schedule. Have they they had any other games they didn't lose by double digits other than that Carolina game? Yeah, in conference.
0: I don't think so. I don't think
2: so. Yeah, they're just – I mean, and they're routinely getting housed by 20-plus points, 20, sometimes 30 points. Um, Yeah, yeah, they have not had –
0: they haven't had they a, haven't 10 had point a loss single game. UNC.
2: Well, they, well, they, they lost to Florida State seventy-two to sixty-two. Okay, there but, you go. but they haven't had less than a ten-point 10. loss, right? So, so the games they have remaining, they're at Wake. I mean, that's winnable. They got Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech at home. Uh, you know, they, I guess, they could win one of those games. Then they're at NC State. Then they close with Clemson at home. Um, Clemson's going to be fighting for an NCAA spot, I think. There's no way Clemson's going to lose that game. But Wake, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, NC State, I mean, those four teams are teams that, are like Boston College, really probably aren't going anywhere. Um, so, I mean, someone may come in and just throw up a stinker against them, I guess. But they're awful. They're they're really, 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 really awful.
1: Bad. It's a shame because I guess we had to go, like, poach them from, from another conference, and uh, what a bummer.
2: Well, I, but, but if you are a Duke fan that lives in the Northeast, especially in the Boston area, in New England, you get Duke games on television now because we have Boston College in the conference. So thank and, you for doing that. And dude. you get to and see every, them every
1: other I was going to say, every other year, you get to go to the game, and it probably doesn't cost you very much.
2: Yeah, exactly. They, they ain't selling out that stadium, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. All right, so we're, 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 we've we're been going along with these uh, other ones. So let's preview quickly uh, the two games we got coming up this week. Uh, Thursday night, uh, we will play... Uh, Florida state. And, uh, on Sunday we travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Panthers. Uh, I I'm just going to do, let's just do a general, uh, a preview of both games at the same time. Uh, I'll start with you, Sam. What do you expect to see, uh, against either FSU and or Pitt?
1: Well, both of these teams, as we were talking about, they're both competitive teams, um, teams that are, I think maybe both still in the conversation for uh, NCAA tournament bids and, um, and playing on the road is uh, is certainly a concern. So uh, I think it's just, I think the, the key for Duke is just to have the guys stay on the floor and not to get into foul trouble. Um, you know, they they were, I think they had a good game plan against Louisville, and I don't think either of these teams is nearly as as uh, talented as Louisville is. They've had their, they both had ups and downs this year. So um, I think it, it's all just about staying out of foul trouble and, and letting your guys play the way that they have. And, you know, I mean, we, we've been saying this every week, but you know, it'd be nice if, if Emil Jefferson came back. I think that's my that's my big takeaway is that I really want to see Emil Jefferson back on this team. Um, I want to see him. Uh, I want to see him be able to finish the season and play a few games for Duke. If if he's not into the red shirting,
2: you know, it's funny about Emil Jefferson. I, I feel like a lot of us have sort of changed our tune on him. We were all like, when when we sort of felt like, oh, Duke, you know, this season may sort of be not a lost season, but you know, not. Not a, a season where we really, really compete with the top teams in the country. We were like, "Yeah, Mill Jefferson should redshirt, and then we can beat great next year." <laughs> and now we're like, if "We get Emile Jefferson back. We're going to win the national title again." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's true though, right? As you said, as you said,
1: um, as you said the, the the field this year is 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 pretty big. Wide There's open, a lot of teams that, that could up. win it. And Duke, the last few weeks, has been as competitive as anybody in the country, and they're uh, and they're missing probably their two best defensive players. So, who, like, what, I, I, I don't know I don't know what more to say about that.
2: Yeah, no, you're dead dead on target. Hey, I, w- I want to talk about Pitt really quick. Um, who who we play this coming weekend? Um, Pitt has been struggling lately, um, and and they they're not in a position where they can continue to struggle for much longer. Um, they uh, they're number thirty five in the RPI, and they only have one top fifty RPI win. They beat Notre Dame. That's the only top fifty RPI win they have. They are clearly on the bubble. And they really need a big, big win. They played Louisville earlier, and then they played Duke they probably got to win one of those two games to make the NCAA tournament. So this is going to be a very, very motivated, uh, you know, whether or not they beat Louisville will be something to really look at. But this is gonna be a very motivated Pitt team when Duke um, plays them over the weekend. Um, And they've been struggling a lot lately. They lost three in a row. Then they needed two overtimes to beat Wake. And that game was in, was at Pitt. And we were just talking, Wake's really not that good. They needed two overtimes to beat Wake at home. Um, But then... It's supposed
1: to be one of these, it's supposed to have one of these very imposing uh, home arenas. So... You know, yeah, not so much that.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, but then they had a big road win at Syracuse um, over the weekend. Uh, and four Jamel artists had 21 points and 11 rebounds, which was big for them. Um, because Michael Young, who's their best player, um, really uh, – he, he's a classic good but not great player, and he has not been able to carry them. He's like, if you look at it, he, he like consistently gets maybe 12 to 15 points a game, but he rarely takes over games. You rarely see him, you know, with the ball in his hands, dominating the game, um, uh, you know, scoring 18, 20, 24 points. Um, to to carry Pitt they need to keep the score low they need to play tough defense they need to win with rebounding and effort because their offense just isn't all that good Um, and and I I think it's gonna be very interesting to see their game against Louisville because they play a very similar style I think to Louisville um, although I think they aren't quite as talented um, at Louisville as Louisville is especially in the backcourt where Louisville has those two fifth-year transfer guards who are who are really really nice players Um, but but Pitt needs a big win, so they're going to be very, very motivated, I think, when, when Duke and, comes and to town.
1: Pittsburgh is, a, Pittsburgh is a great example of you better schedule well in the non-conference in case you don't do great in the conference season because they – other than that Notre, that, Notre Dame is like their best win. Um, they don't – as you noted, they don't have a prominent win otherwise. This was their non-conference schedule. Uh, Detroit, Cornell. Oh, it's terrible. It's Kent terrible. State, Duquesne, Central Arkansas, Eastern Michigan, Moorhead State. Davidson's probably the best team that they played. Uh, and then Western Carolina and Maryland Eastern Shore. That sounds uh, like Purdue. Sounds like Purdue. Lost, right, so they, so they lost their their pre scheduled ACC Big Ten tournament game against Purdue, and Purdue is very good. Um, Purdue right. has, Purdue's been ranked, I think, the whole year, and and they've been very competitive in the Big Ten. Um, so, other than the game that they got handed to them, that is an awful schedule, and that they, is like that's like that's like peak Seth Greenberg scheduling. right Yeah, now. I
2: was about to say that
1: Seth Greenberg um, would love that schedule. And, and yeah, you know, so they
2: can't they cannot complain if they don't make the tournament. They cannot yeah. complain.
1: Right, and and obviously, it would have been helpful for them to beat any of the of the top tier ACC teams other than Notre Dame, um, which they failed to do. They still have so they have the game against Duke, and they have the game against Louisville, as you pointed out. Um, but this this seems like a classic example of a team who beat everyone they should have, beat no one they shouldn't have, and they're going to be on the outside looking in on Selection Sunday if they can't get one of those big wins. If it's either, I mean, a win against Louisville or a win against Duke or a win against any of those like top six or so in the ACC in the tournament. Would be very helpful to Pittsburgh, but they got nothing right now on their on their resume that says that they're a tournament team.
2: Yeah, you know it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to them on Selection Sunday. So let's let's say they they lose to Louisville and Duke, which makes them eight and eight, and then they beat Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, which makes them ten and eight. And ten, ten eight. and eight in the conference. Well,
1: ten and eight in uh, the, yeah, the conference can still make the tournament. Um, they would have to a, do something in the turn in the actual
0: ACC tournament. They'd have to do something there. Right. To beat somebody. Yeah, they,
2: they
1: would. They yeah, would have maybe, to probably maybe. make it. They
0: beat. They tournament.
2: They'd be 10 and eight. They'd be 21 and nine overall. I mean, going into the ACC tournament, I I think they, I think they, they would be on the bubble, but I think they'd be on the good side of the bubble. yeah, Just barely, just barely. Again,
1: I can't, I, I consume a lot of college basketball media and don't necessarily remember where everything comes from, but I, I, I might've been on game day yesterday where they were saying like, you basically have to think of the field this year as a, as a, like, as a 70 team field, um, when you're evaluating like how good teams are and comparing them to teams in the past and stuff because you have two teams in uh smu and and louisville who are definitely right, good enough to right. very competitive teams would probably be you know top five seed type teams that aren't going to be in it so um pushing those guys out just leaves more room for more you know average type of teams uh and, and, oh but before i forget this because i, I might um did either of you, speaking of college game day, did either of you watch any of college game day yesterday? Yes, um, I did. Did you, like, how could you watch more than eight seconds of it? Because Stephen A. Smith was on it. I was so, I was so I, angry. I, I oh, it out. The, the preview time. But when, did, I, maybe I haven't watched recently. When did that become a thing?
0: That, I don't know. That? This is when the first one, I, I haven't, I've usually had it on the background. I don't watch it every week. Um, this is yeah. one that I woke up early and and was doing stuff, and I was like, in the game, I knew the our game was coming on right afterwards, so I, I left it on. Um I don't know if that's a new thing. I don't know if that's something that's happened since because uh, when uh, Hubert Davis left for UNC, uh, he was replaced by Jaywell., um, yeah. but I'm not sure what happened. Is it probably because Digger uh, retired? and now I, they have a new spot and that was filled by him. I'm not entirely certain.
1: I was only planning on watching the last half hour because I, like you, realized that Duke was also on ESPN. So I was just like, oh, I'm gonna leave it on. Um, and I, I turned it on, saw Steve, and Steve X- Smith was in the middle of, I don't know what he was talking about because um, I can't understand a thing he says, but I turned the TV, I, I switched the channel immediately. Um, because I was like, I can't, I can't listen to him speak. It's awful. Uh, and, and Oh, and when they were doing, I turned it back on with a couple minutes to go. And when they were doing picks, and they were picking an NBA game um, that I, I think must have been on ESPN that night. But I was like, what show are we watching? Like, this yeah, they, they, pick, they,
0: they picked the uh, uh, the, Clippers the, a- game, maybe? the ABC game of the, of the weekend, which is yeah. on after their college game day, game of the week. So right. game of the week now is at 630 because they have an NBA game following that at 830. So they picked right. those so, games now.
1: Sorry, I, I didn't mean to divert. Let's go back to talking about the ACC and not talking about Stephen A. Smith.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, the only thing I have left for for, for Pitt or FSU, I, I like all that you guys said, uh, FSU is kind of, I, I was tell, talking to Sam before about this, but it's weird if you look at them statistically, they should be in the middle of the pack of the ACC, and it's kind of perplexing, uh, and, and probably in the talk for a bubble spot in the, in the NCAA tournament um, with their analytics, but they're 72nd RPI, uh, which is very low, but in Ken Palm, they're actually, Ken Pom rates them much higher, uh, and they've beaten Florida, they've beaten UVA, um, it, but they're 16-11. I feel like that's the only reason that Florida State isn't really being talked about is because they have opportunities to win games, and they just haven't beaten anybody yet. Um, but there's someone that I still think is going to be a tough opponent, even in Cameron, because they have, they just have that tenacity of, of not really quitting, uh to the end and, and and of course we have a lot of you know we have like a, they have a lot of guys that play a lot of minutes i believe they have 10 guys that average 10 minutes a game uh or more so they, they're going to be throwing bodies at us and of course if we if matt jones isn't ready to go if thornton's still uh ailing and we're down to you know four four and a half or four four plus players uh that's going to be uh the key you know to us can we it's going to be heart versus heart and if they're throwing, you know. Line changes at us essentially, uh, you know. Our hopefully our guys will be rested enough to respond to that, and I think that's going to be the key for Florida State. And you know, after that, we have a, a fairly quick turnaround to go to pit um, and play there. So I
2: think those are the two. Well, and keys. By, the, by the way, regard regarding Florida State, they they're a talented team. Yeah, um, absolutely. Malik, Malik Beasley and Dwayne Bacon will be playing in the NBA next year, and will be first round NBA draft picks. And they're both they're both freshmen. But um, and and Florida State's got you know big man and such. I mean, Florida State. I, I agree with you. Um, uh, you know, if you told me rather than being six and nine, Florida State was nine and six. When you look at their roster, when you look at um, the the talent of the players on the team, that wouldn't have been that shocking. Um, they, they've they've had some tough losses. They haven't quite put it together yet this season, but um, they're eminently capable of, of of beating even Duke in Cameron. Yeah. Uh,
0: so let's uh, let's. Finish with that and let's go to player of the week. Um, we really only have the one game, uh, with L- Louisville. Uh, no, no, I-
2: no, no, wait, wait, wait. We're also counting the UNC game,
0: we'll count UNC. We, I mean, we did that on, yeah. on, our, on our special podcast, okay? We'll lump that in too. So, players of the week, we got two games. Uh, I'll start with you, Jason. Who do you pick? Grayson Allen, <laughs> oh, it's okay. the obvious choice,
2: yeah. And I know you're gonna pick him, and but I, I, I I'm sorry, the guy had 23 against. Uh, UNC. He had 29 against Louisville. He's a warrior. He he kills himself out there every single moment of every single game. He's been grabbing a lot of rebounds as well. Grayson Allen. If Grayson That's Allen. I'm
1: going to take, take Grayson Allen as well. And if if Grayson Allen at any point in the season feels the need to do the Sam Cassell dance, um, he should be free to do it.
0: Uh, and I'm hey, going to make it three for three. Uh, Grayson Allen. Uh, hopefully. Uh, that that doesn't curse him like we've done for a couple of players yeah, so yeah. If, you're, if you listen, we, don't listen we, to it uh, Grayson
2: you, you were terrible we, this we, week we, if, if compared to us. So. Luke, who who we jinx like we jinxed Luke Kennard didn't we? Yeah
0: we did. Jinx, uh, yeah. yeah so so Grayson if you're if you're out listening uh, to this podcast please turn it off we're not trying to jinx why you, are you uh, of all, Grayson, why are you listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah, baby, don't, don't don't listen to us. We're we're just guys talking. Uh, but but we thought you had a great week. So uh, I I think it's unanimous Grayson Allen player of the week. Uh, let's, we'll start with parting shots. And I know Jason has a uh, particular one, a melancholy one uh, to pass along. So Jason, I will start with you on this one as well.
2: Yeah, I've, I've actually got two and I'm going to start with, um, yes, with the melancholy one. Uh, most Duke fans, many Duke fans hopefully have heard this or, but if you have not, um, there's something you need to do about it. Uh, Tony Moore, um, who, who played at Duke several years ago, um, uh, never really made, you know, an NBA career or anything like that. He was never one of these, you know, all ACC kind of players at Duke. But, um, uh, you know, a good guy, gave his years to the program, was a friend of the program for many, many years, um, has, uh, has passed away. Um, he, he had heart problems, which is something that, that seems to happen fairly often um, at a young age to, to men who are very, very tall. Um, I know so, there's been science looking into this stuff, but Tony Moore had heart problems. He was desperately waiting for a, um, for a replacement heart, for, for a heart transplant, and it, and it never happened in time for him. And Tony Moore passed away. And his former teammate, Kenny Blakeney, um, another guy who, who wasn't all ACC but, but was a uh, you know a kid who, who put himself out there for Duke and, and played hard for the Blue Devils, um, has set up a GoFundMe because um, Tony Moore's family needs some help transporting Tony's body from uh, from where he passed in Georgia up to the Washington DC area, which is where Tony was from and where they want to bury him. Um, and there've been a number of, if you if you go to the GoFundMe site, um, there are links on the DBR about it. Um, if you go to the GoFundMe site, you'll see uh, a number of very familiar names from Duke history who, who are making contributions to this, including Debbie Shashevsky Krzyzewski, Mike Shashevsky's wife, uh, sorry, sorry, Mike Krzyzewski's daughter. Um, uh, Mickey, of course, is his wife, uh, and 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 a lot of other um, you know prominent Duke names, as well as a lot of Duke fans. Um, so, if you haven't yet, please go to GoFundMe um, and search for Kenny Blakeney's um, effort to 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 get some money raised for Tony Moore's family. And and we're really sad um, to to have to report this about about Tony, who, like I say, was a was a wonderful wonderful member of the Duke program and and part of the Duke family forever. Um, I've got another parting shot, but. I I'm a, I want to, I'll come back to it in a minute because it's a completely different tone. <laughs> so, so Sam, Sam, you can, you can follow up my, my obituary, so to speak.
1: All right. Well, I, I don't have a melancholy follow-up. I'm, I thank you for sharing it. I don't remember Tony Moore. Um, so I, I, I don't think he,
2: he I, was before I, your time. He was before right. your time. He was before.
1: I, I, I get that. Um, I, I had two little items I wanted to bring up. Um, the first being that uh, some of the bracketology that's been that's been passing around recently. Obviously, you can find brackets on every on every college basketball site. Um, some of them have been saying that Duke might get a chance, might be sent to Denver in the first round um, for the opening weekend because we won't obviously be good enough to play um, to play on the you know in the in the North Carolina area um, first and second round games. And uh, while it means obviously that Duke has not had as good of a season as maybe we could have hoped, uh, it is great for me. And for the small number of Duke fans who live out here in the event that Duke does get to play in Denver. So I'm very much hoping that that, that comes to pass um, because I never thought I'd get to see a Duke basketball game out here. And then the second thing I wanted to bring up is that um, I've been looking at our, uh, just tooting our own horn here, I've been looking at our at our SoundCloud page and, and looking at the number of hits we get at every on every show. And it's been fairly consistent, like between like 1,000 and 1,200 hits on SoundCloud, which I think is the best, which is where we post the. Podcast and then it gets automatically, you know, fed into iTunes into um, and to Stitcher, and this is just to show you that that everybody is a front runner. Um, I said we've been getting between a thousand and like twelve hundred hits every week, you know, give or take a little bit, um, and and it usually takes a little over a week for that number to to finalize because people, you know, get around to listening to it when they do. We recorded that UNC episode Wednesday night late. Um, I don't. I think we got it posted pretty quickly too. Um, so it went up Wednesday night. Pretty much, no one was going to get to listen to it Wednesday night. They would have had to start Thursday morning. It's now Sunday morning, and it has over seventeen hundred hits. Um, so, shout out to all the Duke fans who tuned in when we win. Um, that's uh, that, that's a big number, and and we're we're very proud and thankful um, that that folks have been tuning in. Uh, and so, hopefully, Duke keeps winning, and, and it, it keeps uh, it keeps happening for us.
0: Maybe we need to do more profanity because that was
2: that, yeah. That was my <laughs> other thought. Is <laughs>
1: I think, I think we'll ask the. Uh, I think maybe we'll ask the site owners about um, about uh, what they would, how they would feel about that. I know that on the on the forums we're pretty anti profanity, so I, I don't know if the uh, if the different medium allows us a little bit more leniency. We'll 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 check on that and, and update everybody.
0: <laughs> uh, I will do my uh, uh, parting shot and then kick it back to Jason for his final parting shot. Uh, mine is on the similar tone of, of Sam's. Um, as you guys know, the ACC tournament is in a couple weeks, and you guys. Uh, who are coming up for the ACC tournament get to come to my city, uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, it will be my first ever ACC tournament that I've attended, which is remarkable um, wow. that I've waited so long. Um, but finally, it, it took it took them coming to not even two blocks away from my office, uh, but I will be there. So if those of you who are coming up to Washington, D.C., welcome to my city. It's going to be a great time. Um, we have a lot of things planned. Uh, so, and, and, of course, we have Dukies everywhere. So wear your Duke blue, be proud. Uh, don't worry about the Maryland fans who uh, sn- uh, sneer at you on the street because they're in a different conference now and they don't matter. Uh, but also take advantage of everything that, has, that, has, that the Verizon Center has to offer the Chinatown neighborhood around. There's a lot of great food. And make a pilgrimage up to Ben's Chili Bowl because everyone who comes to D.C. must do that. And finally, if you see me on the street, Wave, say hello, tell us you like the podcast. We really appreciate it, uh, and hopefully I will see a lot of you uh, there. Uh, no, but, Jason, I, I, go no, ahead.
1: I just wanted you to know about that ACC tournament. I was at the first ACC tournament in Washington, D.C., which I think was in 2005 when I was in high school,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and, and I believe that Duke won. So um, you, have, uh, you, have, you have work to do that I have already completed in the past.
0: All right. I, I, I'm up for the challenge. Yeah, so, uh, Jason, your final uh, parting shot.
2: Um, Max Hooper. Do you guys know who Max Hooper is? That,
0: that name's is basketball year.
2: Okay. Ma- Max Hooper plays basketball for Oakland University. Yes. Max Hooper.
0: I know about. Go
2: ahead. Max Hooper. And, and I, I hate to admit that this is a column by Doug Gottlieb that I found this in because I'm not a fan of Doug Gottlieb. We've, we've spoken about him a little bit on this podcast and in the past, but... Doug Goplieg came across a a, a pretty cool thing. Max Hooper, who plays basketball for Oakland, has taken 216 shots on this season. He plays about 25 minutes a game. He's taken 216 shots, and Max Hooper has taken 216 three-pointers. Max Hooper has not taken a single two-point field goal this season. He shoots nothing but threes. The dude knows what his job is. His job is to go out there and shoot threes. By the way, he's hitting 46% of his three-pointers, so he's a hell of a three-point shooter. But he's he hasn't taken a single two-point shot. That's like and the that's most a, incredible. He only shoots threes. It's the most a, incredible that, thing ever.
1: That's a volume shooter because how many games have they played, like 25? Yeah, uh, 29 so games. So he's, so he's taken, what, like eight shots a game?
2: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. He's like about seven or eight three-pointers per game, hitting 46% of them. If if you were their opponent, wouldn't you just like go out there and like, wouldn't you dare him open up a path? pathway? Please take a layup. Just do one. You just know, it's one? funny.
0: Mitch, it's you funny should Mitch a, had, You should leave a guy on him. So, so Oakland University <laughs> is, is in Oakland County, Michigan, which is where I grew up. And so I've seen, you know, I've, I, I kind of follow them, you know, casually, but they have actually had times where their teammates, like late in games, if they're ahead by a little bit, they've tried to set up plays to get this guy to attempt a two-point shot of any kind, whether it be a layup from the free throw line, a step inside the three-point line, something. And the kid, will they'll set it up perfectly for him, and he still shoots a three-pointer. It's actually kind of hilarious that this is kind of still a thing because early in the season, a lot of people were like, oh, well, this guy's doing this and it's not going to it's not going to pass. I mean, they're going to get to conference season and there's going to be opportunity for him to actually attempt a two point shot. And here we are. It's late February and he still is on the streak. And it's kind of remarkable that even with this team setting up plays for him to do two pointers, he still hasn't done one yet. Well, and
2: and this is his whole career, by the way. Yeah. So in his career, he's only taken eleven two point shots in his entire career. He's taken four hundred and thirty six three pointers and a total of 447 shots, 236 threes, and 11 two-point shots in his career. So the dude just, he knows what his role is. And by the way, the other thing about him that is unbelievably cool, like I'm about to blow your mind, ready? His father is a guy named Chip Hooper, and Chip Hooper is like one of the best rock and roll booking agents in the world like he wins awards he's like a great booking agent he books every single dave matthews band concert ever he books for fish he books for blues traveler this guy's like one of the great booking agents of all time and his son is one of the great three-point shooters so
1: it's and he, and, and, and so it's cool that it's a bummer that Chip Hooper isn't a basketball player because Chip Hooper has such a great basketball
2: name. I know. well, But Max Hooper's pretty good. Ma- he's Max a Max Hooper's Hooper.
1: Good. I feel like Chip is just a, good, <laughs>
2: it's just a good sports name. Chip. So now, you know, I, I couldn't really follow Tony Moore's obituary with talking about this kid who doesn't shoot three-pointers. But, uh, but I just love to talk. It, it's very cool. I'm, I'm paying attention to him now. I'm going to check every single box score and see if he finally shoots a two. I hope he doesn't. Right. Please, please do not shoot a two-pointer, Chip maybe I mean the, the
0: season go without a two-point attempt shot by Max Super. but uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Finally, on the forty-sixth uh, episode of the Duke Basketball Report, Duke Basketball Report podcast, uh, you can check us out in the forums. Uh, and for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. We will check you guys next week. Duke band, take us home.